Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 161. His bike is done. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number 10 from Brian Amelia. The message is 8 seconds long and comes from the spring of 1990. Here we go. Brian, reach Paul, and his bike is done. Paul's bike is done. Bye. I I must have fixed your bicycle. (coughs) Not just you, but lots of students wanted me to fix their bikes. And they were paying me money. And I'm sure after I left that message, you came right over to get your bicycle, and you probably paid me some money. So that was the point in my life. All of a sudden, I didn't really need my parents. They wanted me to go to the university, and that was their wet dream. But didn't you work for a bike store? Yeah, I worked at that. It was called Art Cycle. There on 55th Street. Was that your first job at a bike store? No, no. I worked in my hometown in a bicycle shop starting when I was 16. How did you get that job? I guess the interview was uh, both my brother and I were online. We both wanted a summer job. And the guy gave us a box each with a bike in it. And we both had our bike stand and he said, put the bike together. And not only did I put the bike together a lot quicker than my brother, who was older than me, but my bike was a lot more rideable. What was the most difficult thing of working in the bike shop? Well, there was a bike shop I, where I was put in a warehouse and I had to put together bikes out of boxes. And the hardest part of that was that it was this dusty warehouse and I swear my nose has never quite been the same. Because I would be pulling these boxes, like dusty boxes out. And I'd open them up, and I'd put together the bike, and I'd shine it up and make it ready for the showroom. And I would do, I did that for an entire summer in Rock Island, Illinois. So that, that's the hard part of that job. <laughs> Later on, in the end, at the bicycle shop in Pilsen, where I was like neighborhood hero, I was helping these kids in the neighborhood which they wouldn't have had bikes to ride. And there's nothing cooler than seeing like a five, six-year-old finally get it and ride the bike. And like, whoa, this is faster than I can run. But then the guy that sat in my shop all the time, one day somebody, he flashed the wrong gang sign and they blew the back of his head off and got his brains all over his girlfriend. It was this weird thing. They were the Ambrose. And then there was the Pena. I can't remember their gang names. Anyway, there was the Blue Gang and the Red Gang. And my corner was Blue Gang. And they do some drive-by shit with just bicycles. Because then there'd be no license plates. They were doing shit like that. So I was the guy fixing their bicycles, not just the kids' bicycles. It it was kind of a weird scene. But anyway, 
<laughs> the Blue Gang, they had dude T Dog always. He was in the shop, and I knew he was packing a pistol. He's making sure that the Red Gang doesn't come into the shop. But the Red Gang needed their bikes fixed as well. So the head of the Red Gang would come Saturday morning at like 7 o'clock, and, and he'd generally throw some BBs up at my bedroom window to wake me up. And I'd get up and I'd fix the Red Gang's bikes early Saturday. And then he would come back the next Saturday and pick them up. Same style. And yeah, I'm sure all those guys are dead or in prison, one or the other. Pilsen, the neighborhood where Brian had his bike shop, is located a couple miles southwest of downtown Chicago. The name comes from a town in what is now the Czech Republic, and until the 1950s, Pilsen housed mostly Eastern Europeans who began immigrating to the area in the late 19th century. In the 1960s, Mexicans began arriving to work in nearby factories, like the massive Hawthorne Works electronics plant on the corner of Cicero and Cermak. But when this plant shut down in 1986, it represented a larger trend of deindustrialization that brought poverty to the now mostly Latino Lower West Side. During the 1990s, when Brian moved to Pilsen, gang conflict linked the neighborhood to areas of Chicago associated with endemic violence, which in the 2000s led to the disparaging label Chirac. But while this characterization suggests an inevitability to the violence, University of Chicago sociologist Robert Vargas, in his book Wounded City, argues that politics are key to understanding why bloodshed continues in certain neighborhoods. For example, a gang violence reduction program led by Irving Spurgle, a professor of social work at the University of Chicago, was abandoned in 1996 under Mayor Daley, three years before its funding ran out, and despite its proven effectiveness. Vargas's research shows that it is a lack of resources, not a lack of desire, that limits a community's ability to end street violence. At the same time, Pilsen has improved its image significantly since Brian left for Colorado in the early 2000s. Middle-class Latinos have revitalized the housing stock and helped rebrand the barrio as a place for tourists to experience authentic Mexican culture with street murals, art galleries, and, of course, restaurants. The downside to this transformation is the displacement of working-class residents who have been pushed out due to rising rents. Many have moved west to Little Village, where, unfortunately, gang violence is still all too common. On the other hand, 
Little Village is also the site of organizations like the nonprofit in Lace Chicago that are committed to attaining the resources needed to address the problems of this much maligned community. If you want to support their efforts, go to their website in lacechicago.org. And if you want to support my, by comparison, less important efforts to produce a podcast, my website is pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Brian for his insights on bikes. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.